How did design change the New York subway system? Well, let me tell you about it. Welcome to Design Dive, the podcast that explores design that's all around us in just 10 to 15 minutes, so you can get on with your day. My name's Chris Downs, and whether you're a designer or simply curious about how design impacts our everyday life, you're in the right place. So let's dive in. Today, we're going to talk about the design of the New York City subway system. Now, I'm not talking about the design of the tracks themselves. I'm talking about the design of the signage and the maps that would later influence how the subway is used today. So let's go ahead and rewind a little bit. Now, we all know that the subway system is totally a maze. There are 468 stations 230 miles of tracks and I think any New Yorker will tell you that it is just absolute chaos. Well, during the first 90 years of the subway's existence, it was pure chaos. There was signage everywhere. There was nothing that was organized or would direct people in a universal way. It was all over the place. So how did it get this way? In 1904, the first subway line was laid, and it was owned by a company known as the IRT, or the Interborough Rapid Transit. This first subway line was 9.1 miles from City Hall to 145th and Broadway. Now, this was the very first track, but shortly after, in 1908, a competitor would also lay a line uh, known as the Brooklyn-Manhattan Transit, or the BMT. Uh, Both these were independent companies. They didn't collaborate whatsoever when these lines were being laid. They just did their own thing. Well, fast forward a a few more years, and in 1932, the independent line, or IND, popped up, and they also were doing their own thing. Now, all three of these companies laid lines wherever they pleased, put signs up whenever they wanted, wherever they wanted, and they did not consult the other. Now, all three of them, their maps were different. So if you wanted to ride a line owned by the IRT um, to then hop on a line owned by the BMT, you'd need to get different maps for each of those. Each company only mapped out their lines and where they went. So that was difficult. And not to mention the IRT had metal cars and the BMT had wood cars Also, again, signage was different. There was no uniform style. There were signs that had different fonts. Some had a mosaic pattern that still exists today. If you're in New York, you can actually see those original mosaics. But some of these companies had similar fonts and types, and so you didn't really know what railroad line you were hopping on. It it was just a mess. So in 1940... Eventually, these companies were running out of money, and the city bought them and decided to merge these lines together. Now, you can only imagine taking three independent companies and merging them together, how crazy that would be. Well, using your imagination, you're probably right. When they mixed these together, the city added even more signs. 
Mind you, those signs weren't even uniform either. So signs on top of signs, I mean, it was absolute mess. Signs that were supposed to be informative, telling people where to go, details about the subway system, and behavioral signs telling people what to do or not to do had the same font. So mind you, mixing both of those together were confusing. On top of that, some of those signs had white on different color backgrounds. They had uh, black uh, on white backgrounds. And again, that uniformity was just completely out the window. So by the 1960s, just to put it in perspective on how crazy this was, a city official called it, quote, the most squalid public environment of the United States. Dank, dingily lit, fetid, raucous, with screeching clatter, one of the world's meanest transit facilities. I mean, well put. It was absolute madness. So a new agency was formed by the city called the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. This group was supposed to make sense of all the chaos and figure out how to unify the subway system just to make it run smoother for riders. Well, eventually in 1966, a design firm was hired by the name of Unimark International. Two designers were assigned to this project, Massimo Vignelli and Bob Norda. Now, they came up with the solution and pitched a plan to the city on how to simplify its signage and just move to a system that just made more sense. Well, the city said no to it because it was too much money. They couldn't afford their services, so they decided to cut ties. Well, the city decided to take their idea and kind of take it upon themselves to implement, uh, just to cut down on cost. But they had misinterpreted what it was that Vignelli and Norda were trying to explain and present. And Vignelli actually says in his own words, quote, the biggest mess in the world. That is how it went. It was terrible. The city put new signs on top of old ones, and riders were even more confused. They, they didn't know what signs to pay attention to. Mind you, some of those newer signs were falling off, so riders were reading older ones and getting lost by those. So again, it was a total disaster. So what happened? Unimark was hired again. Uh, they decided to lean on the professionals there. Uh, Vignelli took it upon him to decide on a typeface that was going to be most important. If you know names of fonts, what fonts are, he decided to go with Helvetica. That was his first choice. Well, that font was everywhere at the time in the 60s. Most companies were transitioning from these serif fonts to these sans serif fonts, and Helvetica was a popular one. So instead of running with that one, and it was more expensive to use, they chose standard medium as the font, uh, just to simplify things. They even ended up mixing Helvetica and standard medium at one point, and it was kind of a mess. By 1989, Helvetica was the official typeface for New York and its signage, and still, to this day, has not changed. So, Today, Vignelli's signage is still used. He was able to come up with a system on how to unify the subway system's signs, make it a lot more clear, concise, and it made so much more sense. The city thrived with this new system, and the city 
absolutely loved Vignelli's approach. So much so that they approached him years later and asked, hey, you did the signage for us. Why not take a stab at making a map for the subway system? Now, signage and a map are two different things. A map is far more complicated. So he agreed and decided to uh, take a stab at it. He decided that every lane would be assigned its own color. With that, he also drew inspiration upon some modern subway maps um, in London and other parts of Europe that had modernized it, smoothed out curves, kind of shifted some of the geography to make it easier, uh, enlarged busier areas so that it was easier to see kind of what was going on. He thought that that was something that would work extremely well for New York. Now, in 1972, his map was released, and to this day, it's considered one of the greatest designs of the 21st century. He had created an extremely simplistic map of the subway system, and it was adopted by the city. Now, if you talk to a New Yorker at that time, or just read about it, New Yorkers absolutely hated the map. Now, what went wrong? Well, Seven years after Vignelli's map was launched, it was replaced by another map that was more geographically correct. Now, let's talk about why it changed. Vignelli's map seemed to be oversimplified. The The land masses, like I said, was shifted smooth. Stops were even removed. Stanton Island, gone. It wasn't even on the map. He felt that riders didn't really need to understand the geography above them because they were underground in the subway. So why would they need to know the the land masses and understand what was going on directly above them? Well, in the minds of New Yorkers, they think very much of what is above them and care so much about it that the city completely overhauled the map seven years later. So warping the geography was a no-go for New Yorkers. Lesson learned. Now, good design is not just nice to look at, but it also solves a problem. The map looked great. It was aesthetically pleasing and was extremely simple, but some New Yorkers felt it was oversimplified. They would get off at a stop, expect to walk a short distance to another station that was shown on the map, but in actuality, they were walking 30 minutes to an hour and were completely confused on why they look so close together. But again, it wasn't thought of geography first, it was more of simplifying the concept of the lines. Now, there's lots of major transportations that drew from this inspiration, uh, mainly signage and yes, the map uh, that we still use today. We can thank Vignelli for his simplified and organized approach that we use today that makes our lives so much easier traveling through airports, bus stations, subways, all around America. What we can learn from this is that there's a power in simplicity, especially in design, but sometimes things can be oversimplified and there's that fine medium that we have to walk. Vignelli has taught us that design can move a city. I literally just came up with that, so feel free to quote me on that. Stitch it on a pillow. You can do whatever. But 
I truly believe that his example is one that we can all learn from. And that's our dive. I hope you enjoyed this episode and hope that you can follow the channel and share this podcast with others. But until next time, keep learning, stay inspired, and remember, design is all around us. Bye.